welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. Fishers Mayor Scott Fadness is running for another four-year term. He is a candidate in the Republican primary election. I spoke with Scott Fadness during the afternoon of Tuesday, April 23rd. I'm at Launch Fishers, and I want to thank John Wexler and the people here at Launch Fishers because this this interview was originally scheduled for the library. They've had power outage issues, so a last-minute change, and I thank them uh, for their cooperation. And I also thank Scott Fadness, who was instrumental in getting Launch Fishers uh, done. We'll try to get to that later on maybe in the interview. Uh, Scott Fadness, uh, this is a campaign uh, interview. He's seeking a second full term, actually three terms if you count the uh, first election, which was a one-year term. Uh, And, uh, Mayor, first of all, I just want to let you know, I think you have the record for the most number of appearances on the Larry and Fisher's podcast. Well, I appreciate that, Larry. I always (laughs) enjoy uh, coming in and visiting with you. And uh, I just want to also say that I appreciate you coming in on your birthday. (laughs) And you were on Twitter today, and your uh, your son, your four year old son, is going to celebrate your birthday by going to the park with his mom. Yeah, it was very clear this morning that I wasn't part of the birthday plans, which was a humbling moment. But uh, I think a lot of parents probably have those from time to time with their little guys. When I talk to candidates, I normally ask them to talk about themselves, and and. A lot of people know your background, who you are, but Fishers continues to get new people moving in all the time. So just give me a couple of minutes on how you went from the farm in North Dakota to the mayor's office in Fishers. Uh, sure, yeah, absolutely. So I did grow up on a farm uh, outside of a little town called Lisbon, North Dakota. It had, uh, I think, six bars and four churches and one stoplight. Uh, I graduated from a class of about 45 people, actually. So that whenever I walk into HSC schools, I'm just shocked by how large of a building they, they have to go to school in. But uh, I went to my undergrad at the University of North Dakota, uh, moved on to IU for my master's degree at the School of Public and Environmental Affairs, which a lot of people may not know this, but SPIA, School of Public and Environmental Affairs, is actually the number one ranked school in the country for master's in public affairs, which are people that are kind of destined or want to be a part of public service. And uh, so I was really excited to come down and do that. When I was there, I had to get a, an internship in order to graduate. And at that time, the town manager in Fishers was advertising the first ever internship in the town manager's office. Uh, I applied, uh, came in and uh, got the job, worked for about a year as an intern. And then when I graduated, they hired me in as the budget director. And uh, I've had different titles ever since. Uh, and then when the town decided to become a city, uh, I decided to run for office. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to be mayor now for almost five years. And anytime I talk to you, it's not a matter of what am I going to talk about. It's what do I have to leave out? That's because correct. there's so much I can talk about. But I want to start off on, about your involvement in issues beyond Fishers. You're a very active member in AIM. For those who don't know, that's the Association of, of Cities and Towns in Indiana. You spend time at the State House lobbying on behalf of that organization. You've also emphasized during my time of knowing you, especially as mayor, a regional approach to problems. So what I'd like you to spend a moment or two on is to explain why you believe that spending time outside of Fishers and these efforts have an impact on residents of Fishers. Uh, So for the first few years, 
when I became mayor, and even really predating that as town manager, I spent all of my time heads down building an organization that was going to be capable to meet the needs of our residents and really did not focus too much outwardly because I had to put the team in place and make sure that we could take care of the day-to-day operations of our city. Once that was accomplished, and, and I think we do have a great team, uh, I turned my attention to things that I thought had an impact on fishers that lived outside the boundaries of our community. And I realized that with the team that I had around me, that freed me up to go work on those issues. So there are a lot of things that happen down at the state house that do have a direct impact on our residents, things that our residents care about. And I think we have uh, an opportunity slash responsibility to play a role in the, that narrative, that dialogue, if you will. When it comes to regionalism, I've thought long and hard about this, and I've just come to the conclusion that uh, fishers cannot be sustainable on its own, that we have to work within the confines of a system, uh, a region, if you will. And if we are collectively working towards a goal together, then we have a shot at really being successful for the long term. If we don't, and we continue to just be individuals and rather parochial, Uh, I think long-term, that doesn't bode well for anybody. And so uh, I think it's my job to look out into the future and see what's happening globally, nationally, regionally, and and be a part of that conversation on behalf of our residents. When you say regional, how do you geographically envision that? Indianapolis Metro, is Anderson part of it? Just what do you think of as regional as it affects fishers? Well, I think regions will change. Uh, 20 years ago, they, 30 years ago, let's say, they probably weren't thinking a lot about Fishers, Noblesville, Westfield. Certainly not, you know, Westfield was small back then. Fishers was small back then. That morphs over time. It's a constant narrative. It's a constant dialogue about how to collectively work together. And um, right now, I think it would be safe to say the Donut Counties, the municipalities that are adjacent in the Donut Counties, along with uh, Indianapolis, Indianapolis, obviously, um, should and needs to figure out how to work together towards a common vision. The uh, pre-primary campaign finance reports are out, and based on that report, uh, you have spent about 800, I'm saying that wrong, $187,000 in your campaign. You have about $356,000 cash on hand as of the end of the reporting period, which was April 12th, just about a week and a half ago. Now, the reason I bring this up is that your opponent has talked about leveling the playing field for issues like city contracts. It's mm-hmm. his view that there's not a level playing field. He thinks that campaign contributions are a part of that. He's, I think, raised and spent about $9,000 in, in, in this yeah. cycle. T- give me your view on this issue of a level playing field with the campaign system that we have today as defined by uh, the courts and the laws we live with? Well, first off, I'm actually pretty proud of uh, the variety and depth of variety of different vendors that we have. At any given time, you'll find 20 different engineering firms. Uh, we have uh, just about every law firm uh, in central Indiana seems to work on different projects for us. We seek out those people who are really skilled and unique in different ways that we can bring on board for different challenges that we have. Um, when it comes to transparency around campaign financing, every cent that we raise is is shown and demonstrated. Um, I'm humbled by the support that I have received. Uh, and I'm also very proud of the transparency around our procurement process. You know, you sat through a million Board of Works meetings. Uh, all of those contracts are awarded in a public way, in a public manner. Uh, we're always trying to strive to find the most competitive process 
for us to get the best tax dollar uh, or best value for our tax dollar. So what I would say about campaign finance in general, uh, you know, I when I ran for office the first time, uh, I was a public servant, uh, wasn't independently wealthy. I had to go out and convince people, whether it was the individual resident, was it, whether it was a business owner, whoever it might be, that I was the right person to lead our city moving forward and ask them uh, to support me. And I was grateful for the folks that did that. Uh, and it allowed me to share my message. Um, and I continue to do that to, to this day. So you feel there is a level playing field? Absolutely. Okay. And, I, and I think it's demonstrated by just the sheer variety mm-hmm. of people that work for the city. And the other thing that I was talking to, I was reminiscing about this the other day with uh, Tom Dickey, what's really interesting in our downtown development is there's only been two buildings built that were actually built by the same developer. Every other project in downtown Fishers has been a different group of individuals that have developed in our city. Uh, so there's just a wide variety of people. And what I like about that, frankly, is it brings different ideas and different perspectives and different opportunities to the downtown area versus, say, having one kind of preferred developer that develops everything. Uh, instead, we have quite a variety. And Tom Dickey, for those who don't know, was your community development director uh, from the days of the Fishers being in town into being uh, a city, and he yep. moved on to the, the private sector That's after correct. several years in that job. One thing you're should be very proud of. You have a triple A debt rating from Standard and Poor's. That's a very rare thing to have in Indiana, really, at any local uh, local community. Less than two percent nationally. Less than two percent nationally. Okay, you've got it right at your fingertips there. Yeah. And, and I think you should be proud of that. But even with that, Mayor, there are still people in Fishers who express concern about debt, uh, tax increment financing, TIF debt, uh, economic development debt. Uh, the, some of the bonding that's been done, particularly, let's say that there was a debate about the uh, uh, nickel plate trail. It was a fifteen million dollar uh, right. uh, bond. Most of that went to the trail. Some went to some road projects as Correct. well. So my question to you is, and and I just say that as as kind of a background to this question. Explain as mayor how you have tried to approach debt when it's the right time, not the right time for the city to go into debt, and how you will look at that as you move into another term if you're reelected. Well, I am, uh, it's a really great soundbite to talk about spending and, and debt and those types of things, but if you don't really peel back the layers and think critically about how you build a growing city, how you invest in a community, uh, I'm the type of Republican that never wants to take a dollar out of someone's pocket, but if I have to, I'm very, very committed to making sure I can demonstrate to you that you get more than a dollar of value back. And uh, we have borrowed money, but we've invested in critical infrastructure. Um, I was looking at this the other day. We've seen about a six cent increase in the property tax rate since my term in office. But in return for that, you've seen State Road 37, uh, a complete redo of that, which is almost $100 million came from the state. In total, $275 million of uh, funding will go into roads uh, over those five-year period. You know, the new park along Geist, new fire stations, new police station. Yes, the Nickel Plate Trail is a, a portion of that, a new and thriving downtown where we have lots of companies and new investment coming in. Almost, uh, you know, 300 to $500 million of new private investment into Fishers. Uh, what we have to be cognizant of whenever you issue debt is your community's ability to pay that back. And I think what AAA bond rating means is they've evaluated what is the true tax burden on the resident and what 
it says overwhelming is that this is a community that has managed its debt as well as its, its operating expenditures very, very well, is very, very disciplined and very, very transparent about how they approach it, and that they have more than enough capacity and capability to pay that back. And I think that's demonstrated in just the sheer amount of quality of life investments we've made and only seen the tax rate raise about six cents. That is, um, in my opinion, that is one of those scenarios where I feel confident that I can say I've provided you a higher level of value than what we've asked for from you financially. And that AAA bond rating is somebody who has worked in tax in my career and still teach it on occasion. I, that is not just about your credit worthiness in general. It's about the controls you put in to the debt, the, your entire financial system, which, you know, that yes. there's much more to it than that. And that's why I think you like to, yes. to talk about that. Yeah, it really does. You bring up a good point. And you've seen this probably with general governmental accounting standards as well as standard pours is they've gotten much more into the management side. How is your fiscal management? So they do take a deep dive into your policies, your internal controls, your transparency. So it is, it is so much more than just a metric associated with your ability to pay back taxes or pay back debt. When you list the issues that uh, you feel are important to you, I've looked at your website, you list public safety as an important issue, and you do tout a couple of very major accomplishments. One's the Crime Watch phone app. Uh, I was around for yeah. the uh, rollout of that and talked to the people involved. That's based, for those who don't know, you download it on your phone. If you see something suspicious, you take a picture of it, upload it, and it can go to a police officer in a very short period of time, minutes actually. Uh, to, to follow up on it. So that's a, uh, that's an, another law enforcement agencies are beginning to, to get into that as well. And also you, you've talked about the We Care program where the fire department, the, uh, the people who are first responders, check up on people who've just been released from the hospital, make sure they're taking their meds correctly, doing the right thing to keep them from reentering the hospital unnecessarily. So you have a lot to be proud of, but you've had a few bumps on the road as well. I mean, you've had a police chief that... Uh, was involved in an accident, had an alcohol-related arrest and later conviction. He resigned very quickly. Uh, you also had a situation just days ago where there was a Facebook post and people accused the city police department of racial profiling, but the police chief worked very hard to correct the record and try to work with the person whose picture was on, on that uh, Facebook post. So there was at least an effort to, to, uh, to deal with it. And I say all that, again, as a setup for this question. Talk about your, both your accomplishments and your challenges as mayor overseeing the entire public safety uh, framework in the city. Uh, from... The biggest accomplishment that we've had in public safety, believe it or not, is that both my police department and fire department are innovators. They're willing to look and see what's happening in our community and adapt and evolve. And in reality, public safety agencies are not known for their desire to change. And what I'm proud of around our fire department is they realize that fires are going down as, a, as uh, statistically, they've been down across the country. They need to figure out what their value proposition is to our residents. They've went, gone out and developed this WeCare Care program. On the law enforcement side, whether you're talking about the app that they developed or some of the other um, the crime reduction unit and different ways of patrolling, they're evolving and adapting to what our community needs. And I'm very, very proud of that. When it comes to the challenges we've had, we are a large, complex organization that are, especially on the public safety side, that are dealing with very difficult situations day in and day out. When something goes wrong, when a mistake is had, it's not that we're never going to have a mistake, but 
what I'm proud of is when we do, we address the issue immediately and we do so in a transparent and professional manner to ensure that we maintain the integrity and the trust that our residents have with our public safety agencies. Because when that starts to erode, you have a real serious issue in your community. And one of the things that we talk about often is how do we ensure that people in our community look to our public safety agencies as institutions they can trust, that they believe are there for their best interest. And that includes people of all different races and all different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. Those are challenging things in today's world. And I think we're just now starting to learn some of those challenges. And uh, going forward, we're going to have to continue to evolve and adapt. But what's so um, encouraging for me is that we've created a culture in, in our police department and our fire department that is open and willing to change. And that's really the first battle in any of these issues. This could come out of public safety or it could come out of num- a number of, of places. But I'm sure you dealt with this as town manager and certainly as mayor. And this is the sort of thing that people don't always talk about in campaigns. But how have you approached serious issues when they, you know, crises when they come to your desk, come to you as mayor? How do you, I mean, I'm just going to ask you in general, I'm not going to make an example. Yeah. How do you approach it really? Somebody comes to you and says, we have a crisis, this is happening. What's the first way you try to handle that situation? Well, I think the people around me who have been in those situations where we've had a very bad personnel issue, uh, a crisis, quote unquote, of communications or otherwise, is uh, I'm an unusual creature in that the more hectic things get around me, for whatever reason, the calmer I get. And so I'm a little bit to the point of kind of unnervingly calm around a lot of these issues, maybe because I'm just not an emotional person, I don't know. But um, first and foremost, I wanna understand the path that we're going to take. Just being decisive is the most important thing in a moment of crisis. So understand what the outcome is you wanna achieve and figure out what decisions you have to make to do that. Once you understand what that plan is, then you need to identify how you're going to communicate it effectively to all the stakeholders involved. And so what I'm proud of with when we have had difficult situations, and I think you will find this, is we were, we're very decisive. And then once we, we make our decisions, we communicate that very quickly and very transparently to our community. Because the worst thing you can do in a crisis is drag the thing out and look indecisive. Uh, and so I, I, I think that is generally our approach is identify what you want to accomplish, be decisive about it, and communicate it effectively. Switching gears a bit, we've had two separate proposals from roughly the same group to uh, build an indoor sports facility. They haven't worked out. Really, the city had no skin in the game, and you've been very clear about that. There's no right. money, although you did run some bonds through the city just There's to give them tax-exempt status. Chris Grice and my city attorney and I's hours of our lives we won't get back. But, yeah, we have no money. <laughs> we have no money in the deal. No money in the deal, but you tried as best you could to move it along. Yeah. And it, it's just never – the investors never bought into it. And uh, uh, Sam Quinn of the Indianapolis Business Journal wrote about it recently. You made a remark at a – joint school board city council meeting uh, where you said there is still a need for an indoor sports facility in Fishers. What's the city's role in making that happen as we go forward now? I do believe there's a need. I I think we're a young, active community without a community center. Um, That being said, I've tried to come up with creative public-private scenarios that puts a lot of the financial burden on the private sector because I think there's a business model to be had there. 
The model that we attempted over the last few years did not work out. They weren't able to secure their financing. I'm still intrigued by trying to identify a public-private partnership that allows us to meet the need of our community, while at the same time not putting the full burden of the cost associated with it on the residents of Fishers. And so I don't have any immediate plans for it at this point, but it's something that I'm continuing to contemplate. There are more downtown projects planned underway. Construction is is still going on around City Hall in that general area. Um, you told me earlier this year that your next goal for this year is to increase the number of jobs and fishers uh, through those kinds of projects and also through um, the fact that we have some vacant space in this city yes. and that you'd like to, to use that and increase uh, the number of jobs here. So uh, my question to you on this is if reelected, um, tell me what you see in that four-year period moving forward, the efforts you plan to make to to economically develop. Will you continue to, to focus on jobs? I know it's looking far out, but uh, you're the kind of guy that seems to look a long way out. What does your uh, vision show you? Yeah, I, I do believe it's more employment. I, I've said it, I think I said it in my first state of the city, I can't think of a better quality of life prospect for our residents than creating a job opportunity in their own community where they don't have to commute an hour each way every day. That's two hours of your life back. That's That's transformative. Um, So we have a lot of work to do to continue to rebalance the scales. It took 25 years to build this kind of massive residential development. Uh, We've got to balance that now with a thriving and and growing diverse economic base. And we've made some real progress in the first five years of my administration. We have over 4,000 new jobs that have come to the city. But in the grand scheme of things, we need a lot more in terms of development in the sense of jobs. Now, where this is, diverts a little bit from before is, you know, there's a real focus on creating a sense of place in downtown. Well, for the next 24 to 36 months, there's going to be an awful lot of construction going on in downtown of projects that have already been approved or in the pipeline. What my economic development team and I would plan to do in, a, in this next administration is we really want to focus on bringing more jobs to the I-69 corridor and some of the older uh, buildings that um, are kind of have lost favor a little bit with this generation of economic development where companies want to be in downtown and walkability. Well, we still have great buildings that are along the I-69 corridor. So what we need to do is shrink that universe, make those areas very uh, appealing to companies, uh, not just downtown, but the whole area. I think you would find us spending a lot of time in in that area to to really drive economic uh, gain here in the city. Launch Fishers, which began at the li- lower level of the library, now is in this excuse me, <clears throat> in this very nice building here uh, that we, we're sitting in right now. That has really started what I would call the Fishers as a tech hub, because a lot of the tech companies that exist in Fishers today were born at the Launch Fishers operation, and you've had other tech companies come here. Uh, John McDonald's company moved here after uh, yep. starting elsewhere, and and uh, so you and, and you have many high tech uh, companies that you have tried to attract and 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 actually uh, birth right here in Fishers. So when you look out on that next four years, you have be reelected. Um, where do you see technology and that whole mix you just talked about? I think it continues to play a large role in our city. It's so exciting when I hear brokers, real estate brokers, talk to me about a great uh, growing tech company that have said they've looked at their options and they tell us we either want to be in Fishers or downtown on the circle. 
like we are now synonymous with that level of tech environment that it's one or two. It's either going to be downtown on the circle in Indianapolis, or it's going to be in Fishers. Seven years ago, that would have never occurred ever. Uh, for us to know now, where John and I reminisce about this, you know, seven years ago when we decided to do this, we never thought we would have accomplished that. We hoped we could have, but we never really thought we could get that far that fast. And um, what I'm also very proud of is I had a meeting with John this morning about what's next. We knew that doing just one thing was not going to be enough to transform a city. And we've been working on this for seven years, and we've been diligent about launch fishers. The first ever Indiana IoT lab, FailFest, we're opening up a restaurant accelerator. We've continued this march towards creating an entrepreneurial city, and we intend to continue to do that uh, for the foreseeable future. One thing you talked to me about after you were elected, before you took office as mayor, was making mental health a, a very for, uh, out front issue for you. You put a group together. And I have to give you credit. I've said this before. I've covered a lot of mayors, and what they'll do often is do a flavor of the month. Okay, we've taken care of that. Let's move on to the next uh, issue. You've made that your issue for all nearly five years of being mayor. Where have you been able – what have you been able to accomplish up to this point? Where does that whole project go from here? It's a very interesting question to ask in terms of what we've accomplished Um, because every day I think we – have accomplished a lot. And then I get a, an email about a suicidal person or someone died by suicide in our city. Um, what we have done is we've put the infrastructure in place to deal with people in an emergency situation. So our law enforcement, our fire department are all well equipped to deal with that issue in that moment. Our schools have infrastructure in place now to deal with the emergent situation. We have to go farther now, and it gets more complicated as we move forward. We have to reduce the stigma and create a culture where people feel okay to talk about mental health. Um, The adults are very problematic. It's one thing to deal with a kid who has to come to school every day and you have them in a confined environment. You can can address those issues. Um, When you're dealing with an adult who has certain inalienable rights that you have to wrestle with, um, sometimes they don't want help. And it's very challenging when you realize that they have the rights under Indiana and the Constitution to say thank you, but no thank you. Uh, So we have a lot more work to do. And then as you talk about going outside the boundaries of Fishers, you know, this year we were very, very active at the State House trying to accomplish some meaningful legislation around mental health. And what I realized is when I when we went there, I took a giant step backwards in terms of people's perception around mental health. So we had made a whole bunch of progress in Fishers where we could have open and honest dialogue about people living in quiet despair and the challenges that people have. They could go seek access. When you leave that environment that you've worked seven years or six years on to try to create and you go out in the state and you try to have this conversation, you will find a lot of antiquated thoughts around mental health And uh, we've got a lot of work to do on that front uh, to educate people as to why this is important. I mean, I talked to a hospital executive yesterday, and they did a community health assessment, needs assessment across the state. I think she said that out of 92 counties, all 92 ranked mental health as one of their top three mental uh, issues, health issues Mm -hmm. in their counties. Um, We rank among one of the worst in the country as a state around mental health. And uh, so we've got... We have a lot of work to do on that front. 
Well, I'm going to finish this up the way I finish up all my my candidate interviews. Uh, Imagine I'm one of your uh, possible Republican voters in the primary election coming up. And I say, well, Mayor, I've looked at uh, you. I've looked at your opponent. I Just give me a couple of minutes as to why I, I should vote for you. What's that short speech you give that voter? The most rational explanation I could give to someone as to why they should vote for me is when you look at a, a person running for elected office, you need to look at their ability to create a vision and then their ability to execute upon that vision. Five years ago, I stood on a stage right after being elected and said, I believe we should become a smart entrepreneurial city, uh, smart and vibrant entrepreneurial city. Um, over the last five years, my team has worked diligently to implement that. And I think, and I'm proud to say that every one of our actions has reflected those core values. Uh, in my next four years, I intend to do the very same thing. Uh, we will be decisive, we will be bold, and we will continue to thrive to create a smart, vibrant, entrepreneurial city. And if you enjoy and believe that we've improved the quality of life here in the city of Fishers with that vision, then I would uh, quite simply and humbly ask for your support once again. Scott Fadness is running for another four-year term as mayor of Fishers. Uh, mayor Fadness, thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks, Larry. Thanks to Scott Fadness for joining me on the podcast. Remember, the primary election day is Tuesday, May 7th. Early voting has already started throughout Hamilton County. This is the Larry in Fishers podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I write the LarryInFishers.com local news blog from Fishers, Indiana, a suburban community northeast of Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.